author and apologist Josh McDowell. How many of you are familiar with the ministry of Josh McDowell? We got to see him live down at the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference. He, anybody, have you seen him live? Who's seen him perf- uh, live? It, it, yeah, Jake, shut up. But uh, he's a hoot. I mean, he's, he's been speaking uh, for the Lord for, I think he's about 200 years old now, but um, he's one of the, when they talk about the early church fathers, Josh McDowell is one of them. But anyway, a lot of energy and uh, really an exciting guy, but he always does, the, he, he makes a point and he gets real loud and then he goes, <laughs> just like that and it was just driving us crazy. But anyway, he was there. And uh, one of the things Josh McDowell has done is he's launched an, a website called justoneclickaway.org. It was designed to show how aggressively online pornography can attack a web user and to provide resources to increase awareness and offer help. He says the threat of online pornography is dangerous enough to take down whole families in the church, eventually leading to the downfall of the church at large. Here's a quote, the greatest threat to the cause of Christ is pervasive sexuality and pornography. Today we have, by and large, lost control of controls because an intrusive immorality is just one click away from our children. With just one keystroke on a smartphone, iPad, or laptop, a child can open up some of the worst pornography and sexually graphic content you can imagine. There's never been such access in history. Uh, we'll give a couple of statistics as we close tonight, but I think you would agree it's a, it's a huge problem uh, and uh, it, it needs to be brought under control. Now, the solution is, uh, some people say complex, but it really just starts with old-time religion. And we're going to look at some of that tonight in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because Paul's going to talk extensively to the Thessalonians about uh, sexual immorality and morality. And so he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. A better translation of finally would be and now. This begins a new section of the letter in which Paul deals with certain issues in the church, and one of them was immorality. He began by urging and exhorting them to abound more and more. Abound is an important word in this section. It means both to advance and to be abundantly supplied. More and more qualifies it even further. It's as if Paul was saying, go ahead advancing in your Christian life more and more and more through your abundant spiritual supply. And so you're getting the impression here that whatever he's going to talk about God has supplied you the ability, the empowerment in abundance to do it. Doesn't sound limiting, it sounds liberating, and it is. I think it's fundamental that we decide once and for all that the Christian life is a higher life, that it's a better life. We too often long for lower living that we did in the world or that the world offers. God has something better for you. Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now, they had received commandments. Paul said they were given to them through the Lord Jesus. In other words, they were directly from Jesus to the believers through the agency of the apostle. They're not suggestions the believers might want to adopt or think about. Uh, They were not a new philosophy. They weren't even a religion. 
They were authoritative commandments. They were the very word of God. Now, as we get into the the meat of this passage, we'll see that he talks to them about sexual morality. So some of those commandments are probably things like Paul saying, get rid of your mistresses and quit sleeping with concubines and don't visit the temple prostitutes. Or to put it positively, I'm certain there were a lot of commandments about Christian marriage. Uh, We don't have time to go into it, but... uh, uh, Thessalonia was a terribly immoral place. Uh, Just, uh, you know, the whole culture was permeated with these kinds of things, especially the Gentile world. It was nothing for a guy to have a mistress and several concubines and visit the temple prostitutes, all with the consent of his wife and uh, the applause of his friends. And so this was the culture of their day. They didn't have the Internet. They weren't just one click away, but it was just as immoral as it is today. The word ought means must. Walk means your conduct in all areas of life. Again, the Bible is not suggestive. It is authoritative, and it covers all areas of your life on earth. Follow its commands, and you will abound. It's an important point. One of the points Josh McDowell made, as a matter of fact, uh, in one of his talks was that today we have a culture in which the Bible isn't really authoritative to people. It's a suggestion book. It, 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 if it rings true, if, if it feels good, then that's what people do. But if not, they don't have a fear of the Lord anymore. They don't see it as authoritative. Used to be you could just read the Bible and say, here's what the Bible absolutely says, and people would say, all right, that's what I'm going to do. But that doesn't happen a lot anymore. Uh, and it doesn't happen in the church among Christians. It's a, it's a real problem. We've lost the sense of the authority of the Word of God. People want to quickly say, well, that's your interpretation. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, that's your interpretation. What's yours? <laughs> I mean, you know, words actually mean things. They, they're, well, you know. No, I don't know. And it's, it's crazy. They revered the Lord. They wanted to please God, Paul says here. The one you are living to please died for you on the cross at Calvary. He rose from the dead for you so you could live forever with him. He's in heaven right now working on your mansion. In the meantime, while he's away, he's provided you abundantly everything you need for life and godliness. Should be a joy to live in a way that would please him. You are surrounded by immorality and subject to your own impulses. You are struggling against society and self. But you're never alone. You have spirit checks from the word that instruct you to abound in abstinence. Verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. People are always wondering about God's will for their lives. You know, just to have fun with people, the next time people say, I don't know what God's, I, I don't know what God's will for me is, just say, I know what it is. It's to abstain from sexual immorality. That'll freak people out. But, that's, but isn't that what that says? This is the will of God. Abstain from sexual immorality. He says it's also your sanctification. It's how you grow in the Lord. It's what the Lord is producing in you. Sanctification means to be set apart for God. It's that process that begins when you're saved and continues throughout your earthly life. Every day you're to be more and more set apart for God in your character and in your conduct. Now, in order to be set apart for God, you must abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain does not mean to moderate or reduce in frequency sexual immorality. That's 
a, a modern-day redefinition that we have. People think, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it less or I'll moderate it so it doesn't get out of control. It means to refrain. It means to desist. It means to quit. You're to abstain and to desist and to quit uh, sexual immorality. And that might be translated fornication in your Bible. It's the Greek word pornea from which we get our English word pornography. Now, there are all kinds of hair-splitting definitions of pornea and what is meant by sexual immorality. Are there any children in here? Remember the Bill Clinton era and the hair-splitting definitions of what constituted sex and, and, and how disgusting all that was. The biblical definition is always based on the sanctity of marriage as defined by God in the Bible from the very beginning. God created marriage. He gave it as a gift to mankind. It's a covenant of companionship between one man and one woman for life. It is monogamous and heterosexual. Within marriage, God gave sexual intimacy as a gift. It is for both procreation and for pleasure, and nothing is to happen outside of marriage in terms of sexual intimacy. Christian marriage has gotten a bad rap. It's generally understood to be prudish and puritanical. Uh, Although the Puritans, you know, if you really study the Puritans, they're kind of X-rated. I don't know if you know this or not, but Puritan leaders, this is going to blow your mind. Are you ready to have your mind blown? Puritan leaders would visit your house. Kind of like, you know, some churches do visitation. Today we do it for tithing. The churches that do it, they visit you and they want to know if you're tithing. But uh, that's, we don't visit you. You understand that, right? But uh, in, the, in the old days, they'd visit you and if the husband and wife were having problems, they'd look at the wife and they'd say, you need to have more sex with your husband. That's it? That's the only reaction I get after putting myself out there and stuff? So, I mean, you know, the Puritans get a bad rap, and they're having sex left and right anyway. So, more people should read the Old Testament book, the Song of Solomon, especially the end of chapter 4. Don't do that right now. (laughs) Stay with me. Stay with me in 1 Thessalonians, please. Now, a correct understanding of marriage and of the pleasures of intimacy within marriage is foundational. But what about the struggle against both our immoral society and the impulses of sin and self? Well, in the world, you have spirit control to influence you to abound in abstinence. I like to say spirit control rather than self-control because these are things you cannot accomplish apart from God's help. You have to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish what Paul is talking about. And if you have that, then you can accomplish what Paul is talking about. He says, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Possess his own vessel means gain mastery over your own physical body. The word know means to have the knowledge and the skill necessary to accomplish that goal. By the influence of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you have the knowledge and skill to gain mastery over your physical body and its impulses. Not in passion of lust, verse 5, like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Jews had a high outward standard of morality based on God's law. Anyone not a Jew, of course, is a Gentile. And they had a very different standard based on selfishness and satisfaction. Their standard was the passion of lust. 
Passion means overpowering urges. Lusts refers to cravings and longings. Passion is the disease and lusts are the symptoms. The phrase indicates a surrender to your passions so that you become overwhelmed by them. We could put it this way. If you give in to your lusts, you'll become a slave to your passions. The important word in verse 5 is not. The spirit-controlled life is preferable, not the life of slavery to your fleshly passions. Verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Your Bible might use the word transgress instead of take advantage of. The idea is that you should never step over the biblical line into immorality because when you do, your sin always takes advantage of someone else. And take advantage is further explained by the word defraud. It means to selfishly and greedily take something for personal gain and personal pleasure at the expense of someone else. Whenever you seek to satisfy your passion of lust or gain sexual pleasure outside of the sanctity of marriage, you defraud someone else. You rob them of their virginity. You rob them of their virtue. You destroy families all for a moment of passion. The Lord is the avenger of all such. Jesus considered this subject of taking advantage of others so seriously that he once warned that it would be better for you to have a 100-pound millstone tied around your neck to drown you in the deepest part of the ocean than to stumble someone else or to defraud someone else. So we're talking about some very serious language here in the Bible. Control yourself, get your passions and lusts under control by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you don't, it's not just sin. It is sin, but it's not just sin. You are defrauding other individuals and ruining other people's lives. The Holy Spirit influences you to be mindful of others, especially in the area of sexual immorality. All permissive, promiscuous, pornographic sexual acts and images defraud others. doesn't matter that the other people seem to be willing participants who have posed or who are prostituting themselves. It still defrauds them as far as the Lord is concerned because that is not his highest purpose for them. It is not a victimless crime. We shouldn't talk in those terms. It's a sin. We, you know, these things are sin. Sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage, it's sin. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. If you're a Christian, God first called you to salvation. Radical and remarkable changes took place in your life as you received his Holy Spirit and were born again. Uncleanness or impurity uh, was overcome by his power, and you began to walk in holiness. You were set apart by God and for God. Your life had purpose and direction for time and eternity. Immorality defeats your witness and effectiveness on the earth. It will cost you at the reward seat of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given as God's gift to empower us to obey God's word. No believer can ever say he or she could not help themselves. John says if we say we don't sin, we're liars. We still sin, and we will continue to struggle against sin. But no one of us can say that we couldn't help ourselves, that we had to sin. 
because the Holy Spirit is given to empower us to obey God's word. It says here, what people do is reject moral counsel as if it was an opinion rather than receive it for what it is, God's will. They reject God. I don't know how many professing believers have over the years reinterpreted biblical morality to fit their lusts. They say they love the Lord, but didn't Jesus say, if you love me, what would you do? You would keep my commandments. I deal with people all the time who are involved in immoral relationships, and at the same time, they say, I love the Lord more than anything. I'm a Christian. I'm serving the Lord. God is pleased with me. But you're living in sin. Well, in my case, here's the rationale behind. Everybody has a rationale. It's true love. It's true happiness. It's God's will. God's will can't be yes and no at the same time. God can't say don't commit adultery, but it's okay for you. God's not winking at that person. That, well, it's okay for you because you're so much in love. This was first love. This is true love, and, and it'll all work out in the end. And, 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 and it, it's just that people have lost the sense of the authority of the Word of God. It's no love for Jesus that sins blatantly expecting grace in the end. One of the speakers down at our conference, too, Sandy Adams, he's a great guy if you ever have a chance to listen to him out of Stone Mountain, Georgia. Um, he was talking about passages like this where people would say, well, what, what does it mean you, you reject God? That sounds serious. He says, we try so hard to explain those things away to soften the blow, we take the teeth out of the Word of God sometimes. And, and so if I was counseling somebody, I would say, well, you know what? It's not my opinion that you're committing adultery. You're doing it. You are rejecting God. Well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I don't know. You tell me. How can you reject God? How can you say you love the Lord and disobey his commandments when he says, if you love me or since you love me, you'll keep my commandments? I said, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Well, I thought if I was once saved, I'm always saved. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the fact that you're in sin. And you need to repent of your sin. And in that situation, I don't want to take, I don't want to, well, let me first explain to you how you're really not lost, you're saved, everything's going to be okay in the end. Now let's go back and try and convince you to give up your sin. Why? You just told me I was going to be fine. Everything's great. It's groovy. I'm feeling great. I don't really want to be a deep Christian anyway. I don't want to be a missionary. I just want to get in by the skin of my teeth. The Bible says you're rejecting God. That's all I have to say to you. Quit rejecting God and do what he says. Back to Josh McDowell's fight, and we'll close with this. According to McDowell's statistics, more than one billion pornographic websites are available on the Internet. The average age of first-time viewers of pornography, nine years old. The adult pornography industry reports that 20 to 30% of their traffic comes from children. More shockingly, half of all Christian families report that pornography is a problem. 30% of pastors have viewed pornography in the last 30 days. Now, I don't want to be weird, but statistics don't lie. And if statistics don't lie, now we could be ahead of the curve, but if statistics are accurate, then 30% of the people here tonight have some f struggle with pornography. 
And all I'm going to do, you know, we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to get into our time of prayer, but we're not going to do anything weird. We don't want you to, you know, get up and stand up so we can point you out or anything. But here's what I have to say. Just go back tonight as we pray. If you're struggling with sexual sin of any kind, pornography, adultery, fornicate, whatever it is, read through these verses again while we're having our prayer time and realize that what they say is that God has given you the Holy Spirit so that you can say no to sin and yes to God so that you can abstain from sexual immorality. You can get yourself out of those statistics and back uh, you know, on a, a, a level surface with the Lord and all you need to do is what? Repent. All you need to do is have a sense of repentance and sorrow for your sin and ask the Lord to help you. And so if that's you, we're not going to ask you to repent publicly or to admit what you're doing or anything like that. But it's one suggestion for our prayer time tonight to apply the word of God is to just repent before the Lord and, and ask the Lord for the filling of his Holy Spirit so that you can turn away from these things that are enslaving you. You know, I think the world and even Christians have us convinced that this is just, there's no way that we can beat this. It's just, we might as well just throw in the towel. Let's just moderate it. Let's just keep it to a minimum. And, and Paul says, yeah, no, let's get rid of it from our lives. It's ugly and um, he who rejects this counsel rejects God. Amen?